This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you know you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, unlike the Owls, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So there's only one thing left to say. What's everybody having? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means you'll get some tasty rewards later on. And between you and me, if you order just before kickoff, you can get it just in time for half time. But I've not told you that. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery free and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. See you later. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The Wednesday Week, the Sheffield Wednesday Fan Podcast. First words when we went live on Facebook, <laughs> then, by the way. What <laughs> <laughs> was it? Are, are, we, are we live then now? Yeah, we're live. Live. Um, welcome to uh, the Wednesday week. Um, you've got a man coming off the subs bench today. Uh, I've been asked to host um, this live edition. We've been doing this now for four or five weeks. Um, obviously before we were on the podcast but this you can see all our ugly faces and see what we actually look like apart from Steve obviously for the ladies we're all here tonight um, and we've got a really really special guest tonight um, he is a legend in football though and every, people who don't know him then they can't know about football um, mm-hmm. 452 appearances in goal I'll not mention the team he appeared most for, but just to... Where did, where, where did that number come from? That come from Wikipedia, is it more than that? Oh, it's a lot of rubbish. All right, OK. <laughs> 563. Oh, well, I know the footballer how many appearances he had. How many appearances did you have for Forrest? I had 393 for Forrest, but that was... But I think Wikipedia maybe just does league games, but that's, like, in total... Right, right OK. But... The most important was 17 for Sheffield Wednesday in 2006, and we'll obviously talk about that. And he, and he made himself a bit of a legend and put himself into the history books with something that no other goalkeeper has done for Sheffield Wednesday in open play, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, oh, it's yeah. Crossley, everybody. Uh, there you go, nice. Mark. Nice to meet you all. Brilliant. Thanks for coming on. I mean, we've, we've been talking about Sheffield Wednesday now in, in different forms and guises for many, many years now. We've had um, many ups and a lot more downs. 
Um, we've had a few nice years recently and we've also had a few crap years, which I'm sure you're more than well aware of because you just live down the road, don't you? I think you still have a bit of uh, work with Sheffield Wednesday, don't you? I am, yeah. Um, I obviously, I was obviously there on loan when Brian Laws was manager, next teammate of mine, and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's always been, because I live in the area, it's always been, a, I've always looked at it as a massive club, right through playing junior football, team that I played for were a team called Oil and Common Falcons from 10 years old and we used to play against the Sheffield Wednesday Juniors who were then called Middlewood um, Sheffield United Juniors or, or, so, which was a very very good competitive league um, and, and you've had a lot of good players uh, come out of it as well uh, And but I've always looked at Sheffield Wednesday coming from Barnsley as a, as a, as a massive football club and, and I kind of put it on par with, with Nottingham Forest, to be honest, with the way that things have turned out and getting relegated and not being able to get back up into the Premier League. So they're, they're, it's, pretty, it's pretty similar, to be honest. So when you came to us in 2006, you were at Fulham at the time, weren't you? I was. I was at Fulham. Uh, I was 36. I wasn't, I wasn't the fittest guy in the world, but I was still getting away. We are still playing by... Uh, my strengths were probably organisation, my distribution, so but not as agile as I was ten years prior to that. But I know Brian Laws was Brian Laws was an ex teammate of mine, and he he called me and said I could do with a bit of experience um, in goals, and you'd fit the bill great. So I was reluctant because I wasn't I wasn't fit. I'd got hamstring trouble and and back trouble, but. He convinced me to come. I'm glad I come. It's a fantastic football club. I'm glad I've represented Sheffield Wednesday. And I later then got a job there as a, um, a goalkeeping coach for the academy. And I put a goalkeeping programme together for the academy. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time time there for that year. Um, I've got a lot of friends in Sheffield linked with Sheffield Wednesday. So... It, it, you could kind of say, even though I wasn't there for a long time, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a club that's close to my heart. Okay. Then, you, you, that's what we were talking about this earlier on before you came on. The club actually had their best uh, finish that season when you, when you were with us. We actually finished uh, the highest we'd been in the Championship up until the, the, the period we've just had recently where we spent a bucket load of money. Um, and we were looking at the team and there was a few guys in there who we actually sold for some decent money. Uh, Chris Brun, Whelan, Magic Baguera. I mean, what were your impression of them players at that time? When, when I first come to the club and trained for the first day, I, just, I felt that the, I felt the team was underachieving with the quality of the players that, that were there. And probably the, the reason that they had... Uh, Sheffield Wednesday had the best, best finish that season is because I left in January and Ian Turner came and played in goal. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Um, yeah, I was surprised. There were some good players there. Uh, I was surprised that the position wasn't a little bit higher in the league, to be honest. Uh, I thought Majid was a great a player, eccentric, totally, totally unpredictable, uh, with a lot of ability, a lot of experience, Lee Bullen in the team and Graham, Graham uh, Coughlin and Frankie Simek. Uh, who else was there? Um, Whelan, Glenn Whelan was there. Chris Brunt, some really top players in 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 the few that I've just mentioned there. Mm-hmm. We've moved mm. on to some greater things. I think obviously Brunt has just been released, hasn't he, from West Brom? 
and I think Glenn oh. Williams has been released from Hearts as well, haven't they? Um, well, they they'd be too probably come into the uh, wrong age. You know, again, a little bit uh, too old to start talking about money signings, but certainly they'll fit they'll fit into a club. I would say at least Championship level. You know, there wouldn't be too bad signings there. I mean, I'd be, I'd be all over them too if it, if it was available. Yeah. I like Brunton. I think I, I, I'd be all over them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Brunt across the ball when I scored the header, so I like I owe him one tonight. <laughs> now, a young man here who's who, who's basically um, picks up our target audience of kids who are still at school is Ben. Um, now, Ben's actually not that young. Ben's actually <laughs> a Ben's like, well, you look like you're at school, mate. I'm I'm oldest one here now, apart from Mark. I've had to have a shit. Actually, Sai, uh, just, I'm just checking the comments as this is going live, and uh, you are compared to John Virgo uh, this evening, so <laughs> the beard's working for him, mate. Well, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that's that. just some beard envy, Dan. That's beard envy going on there. fingers. I thought it was Captain Bird's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Not heard that one, Mark. Not heard that one. <laughs> So Ben, you're you're a goalkeeper, aren't you? And I think you were looking forward to this. So over to you, Pat. Um, well, I've only scored one goal as a goalkeeper, so let, let's you know hear about. It. Let's go straight onto that one. Uh, what we're going because it was a mad game, obviously three two. So what's going through your mind in the last minute when we get that corner? Well, I've always fancied myself in the opposition box. I've got to be honest. I've got I to be honest. And I came close for Fulham in a cup tie. Um, at Wigan where I didn't quite make it to the box when the ball came in so I just hung about on the edge of the 18 yard box and the ball came out to me and ate a volley and John Filan I don't know if you remember him he made a great save so it was something that I would have wanted to do in my career I took a couple of penalties in in, uh, in games in shootouts and things um, but as I say there was we were into injury time I think three minutes and I was lingering in and around the halfway line, thinking, "Shall I? Shan't I? If I if if I don't get on the end of it, there's no way that I'm getting back to the <laughs> other end anyway." So I looked over to the bench, and Brian Laws was saying, "Get your ass back in that goal up there." He was shouting, but Billy Mercer, the the goalkeeping coach, was going was behind him, going, "Get your send in the box, big man." <laughs> so I went with the goalkeeping coach, and luckily. Uh, I walked into the box and who decided to try and pick me up was a 17-year-old Gareth Bale. He was probably about 11 stone wet through, so I thought, if I've got a chance of attacking this ball, there's no way that he's stopping me, you know. And luckily, just I managed to get into an area where I knew Brunty could put the ball and, and get on the end of it. Brilliant. Great feeling, honestly. I, I, when it went in, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to celebrate because... At that point, when the ball goes in the goal, I'm usually the one that's picking it out and throwing it back to the halfway line. So, uh, you had plenty of practice that game for doing that, didn't you? Pardon? You had plenty of practice in that game for doing that anyway before that point. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three. And there was some. I, I look back, I've looked back, back at it loads because it's the clip is actually sent from the beginning when it's nil nil. Mm-hmm. And some of the goals that were, were scored, I think, mm-hmm. first one by Raziak and then. Uh, Glenn Whelan scored two unbelievable uh, the volley that he scored if he showed, if Messi scored it it'd be talked about for mm-hmm. years and years and years and years some brilliant goals in that game and just nice and fitting that I was able to it's nice that you was remembered for scoring the equaliser but not for letting three in <laughs> so, 
Now, now, Mark, I, uh, I, I've got a question. I'm going to take you right back. I'm going to, I'm going to test your memory now, but surely this, must, this, this day must stick in your head. And it's a bit of a shite day for us as Sheffield Wednesday fans, but there was a day um, we had our French exchange at school. You know what I mean? So some kid comes over, lives with you for a week, and then you go over there and live with him for a week and all the rest of it. And, um, and us, us, in, us in our French class, we decided, I'll tell you what, We'll take our exchange students to uh, to Hillsborough and then they can watch the team that we all support. You know what I mean? Growing up around the area. It was against Nottingham Forest and um, seven goals were conceded. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't the... It wasn't the best example of the of what it was like to be a Sheffield Wednesday fan at the time. But, uh, Christ, you must have enjoyed that day, right? Did you have much to I do? Think, I think I could have actually pulled one of the seats... <laughs> oh, the left of the end and actually put it at the side of the goal and sat on it for that game. I, I got to be honest, uh, but I can honestly say that it's the best performance I've been involved in in a team. Uh, it was one of them days where just everything went our way, and you know, taking not, not taking away some great players that were on the pitch as well, but we had the likes of Colin Moore who were on fire at the time and Lars Bohinen and Brian Roy, Stuart PS England captain. You know what I mean? We, we, we were a good team, but that performance that day was when the whole team gelled together and performed really, really well. Uh, I, I still speak about it with shares. Me and shares are like that because everywhere John gets the manager's job, I'm, I always go and work with him. And he, and he says to me still, and what a player he was. We all know what a player he was. I mean, he's a god at Sheffield Wednesday, isn't he? Mm. But he, he says, he, he goes, no, I, I, I couldn't, uh, we couldn't get near. No one, you know, I think Chris Waddle in the end just thought, oh, God, you know, <laughs> carry on, lads. And, 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 and that's why, how it felt on the day. Um, but it was just a performance where everything just went our way. Well, that's, that's a hell of a segue you did there, actually, Mark, because I was going to ask you about John Sheridan's time at Nottingham Forest. Now, we, you know, we, we had Craig Armstrong on here uh, the other week, and he was talking about you know, what it was like playing for Forest at the time. As he came in, the, you know, the club was winding down its Premier League career, let's be nice about it, because, you know, like you said, us and Forest are quite a similar club, and, uh, and I agree with you. But um, the, you know, what, what went on with John Sheridan? And by the sounds of it, they, they paid top, they paid like half a million pounds for him at the time. What, what was the story there? I think it was a little bit more. Well, I, obviously, I speak to John about it because, and I think he's, he's as clueless about the matter as what we, what we all were. Because when, when he was coming to the football club, we were all excited that we actually signed a top midfield player, which we were missing at the time. And John signed for Forrest. He could have gone to Chelsea. And John tells me that he went down to Chelsea. He didn't feel it was right to go and live in London with his family and all that. And he got the phone call from Cluffy uh, to come and play for Forrest. And it just never, ever happened. I mean, he played in one game, a League Cup game. He was man of the match. He actually absolutely run the show. But he never played again. And it was bizarre. So... Unless something had been said behind the scenes, I certainly don't know anything about what was said. Because John, I don't think I think don't think John's aware either. So I don't know. Maybe we got up to a bit of mischief that we don't know about, and the, and the, and the manager found out. I don't know. I've got no. I, idea. I think that's a hundred percent what it probably is. To be to be fair, Mark. 
Well, we become we become we became good pals from that. So I gained a really good friend, a top player, and a, and a, and a good manager. And so and you know I was on the phone to him to, today, arranging a game of golf with him on Friday. So I I don't know because he was the type of player that the way Nottingham Forest play football, he could you'd think he'd just slot straight in. And like I said, we were all excited that. We were we were signing a, a, a another great player. <laughs> I don't know. I've got I've got no idea what happened. I remember I remember a preseason friendly when we played Leicester and Casey Keller was playing in goal for Leicester, and John got the ball um, in the midfield area. He had a look up and Casey Keller was off his line, and John chipped him, and Casey Keller got back and he made an unbelievable tip over the bar, but. Only John Sheridan could have seen that he was off the line, off his line. And at half time we go in and Brian Clough said, We don't chip the ball at this club, son. So he was really annoyed that he'd actually like tried to chip the keeper. Because he just thought it was a wasted effort. But when you seen the effort, it was like unbelievable how the keeper made the great save. So mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly don't know why it never worked out, but to Sheffield Wednesday's, yeah, uh, yeah, it worked know, all right out for us, didn't it? It worked <laughs> out really, really well because it was probably one of the best players over the last few decades. I, I would imagine you'd agree. You know, I, mm. I've been to watch him play for Sheffield Wednesday and, and actually seen him run games. You know, so could do with him. Go on, Steve. Sorry, I cut you off there, didn't I? <laughs> It just, it, it, I think it's partially been answered, but it just blows my mind that you've got somebody with so much talent and, and a man that's got such a reputation for, you know, building, you know, that sort of, that network, that unity within, and it just didn't work out. There was never any sort of indication from, from Cluffy that, you know, that something had happened and, you know, I've got, because he didn't play, like you said, he barely played um, and, you know, they'd really gone after him, got him. Just nothing behind the scenes. Nothing was ever said or anything like that. To, no, to sort of... no, because if 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 anything would have happened, you'd have certainly have heard about it in the press. But and and like John, when I asked John about it, he, he's baffled about it as well. But I think the opportunity come Sheffield Wednesday paid. I think a little bit more than what Forrest actually paid. Cluffy had or, or obviously made his mind up that it wasn't for him. As soon as the offer come, I think what happened was the senior weren't in the team. Mm-hmm. Thought yeah, you know maybe we can nick him here and and a bit of, a bit of great business and, and and they managed to acquire his services you know so yeah maybe it was just that an offer came in Buffy has made his mind up they didn't want him made a couple of hundred grand on him whatever it was and said you know off you go mm-hmm. but from that point where that period where you were obviously your your, your great mates now I'm assuming that off the back of that time at Forest you 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 stayed mates and you stayed in contact with with Shez as you went through. Did he ever sort of come back to you and say, you know, we're on to something here at Wednesday? You know, there's a there's a great camaraderie around the squad because you know for some of our some of our fans that will be a point where it's almost like a golden era. Do you know what I mean? When you've got Big Large and you've got Palmer coming in and you know you get Wads coming in and people like that. Um, did he ever sort of give you that feedback? That it was like this is the place to be, sort of thing, and we're on to, on, on the cusp of something. Million percent, and I think obviously the, the Wembley appearances and everything proved that, you know. And I think was it a third position in the league one year as well? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, Yeah, he goes, Oh, he goes, it, it, It's actually similar to being at Forest, 
but the ground was the ground was bigger. You were playing with likes of Chris Waddle. Chez always mentions the likes of Roland Nielsen mm -hmm. and Nigel Worthington. He never, he's not one of these that like, if you say, who's the best player ever played with? He would say Chris Waddle, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But he loves to give the ones that, the unsung heroes uh, yeah. mention. So your Roland and your Graham Hydes and your Mark mm -hmm. Brights and, you know, it, it, the list goes on. Great players they had over that period when 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 Chez was there and the off yeah we often speak about it usually so, over a glass of wine so, <laughs> so Steve Steve mentioned there about Carlton Palmer so what what he obviously played with him at Forest as well he's obviously another Wednesday legend what what's Carlton like <laughs> Carlton uh, <laughs> I, love, I love Carlton I love him he he, he says what he thinks. Sometimes it's not always the right thing to say, but I like I kind of admire people that say what they think. That's why I like listening to your Roy Keynes and that on punditry and stuff like that, and your Graham Soonisers. Carl was like that, and we had a manager at Forest because Big Ron came to Forest mm -hmm. um, to try and save us from getting relegated, and Carlton was his first signing. Um, and then Ron went and sat in the wrong dugout against <laughs> Arsenal. First game, and uh, after the game, I remember Carlton saying to him, "What, what, what were you thinking, the gaffer? Like, you know, sitting in the wrong dugout. We're just being beat by Arsenal." And, and Ron Atkinson says, "I couldn't believe Carlton that this team I came to manage was struggling when I was sat on a bench with all these great players sat around me. But it was the Arsenal players that he was sat around." So. Uh, but Carlton brought great camaraderie. He gave the dressing room a lift. He's he's very sure of himself, mm -hmm. but in a in a nice way, in a good way. And and I'm still in contact with Carlton now via social media. And he was over last year when we were at Chesterfield, and he came to a game. He came into the manager's office after, and uh, it was all about Carlton, uh, of course. But great lad, someone. Shez always said to me that he was a dream to have the side of me. He says, because I weren't too fond of running too far, but I was a dictator with the football at my feet. And Carlton just used to do all my running. And when he got the ball, he just gave it me. So he made my job a lot easier. And I think he's got the utmost respect for Carlton as well. But we, after Ron at Forest, David Platt came in and they didn't like each other. It was as simple as that. Not many, not too many people got on with David Platt, to be honest. Me include being one of them as well. But so Carlton left. So it, we, we didn't. We didn't. He used to stand in front of the mirror with his shirt off, and he used to pause, and he used to tense up, and he used to go, "Big fella," he shout, shout at me. Mm -hmm. Big fella, I say what? He goes, "Not bad for thirty-three, am I?" Hey, you know, with his shirt. <laughs> Was I it just his shirt that he had off? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a different mental lift there for me. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> a great. I don't know if you met Carlton. Like, he's, he's, he's just a great guy. I, I just, I just love him. I, lo I just love being in his company. I met Carlton Palmer once at Club Wow in Sheffield, and he stole my taxi. So you know, he's <laughs> done for me. <laughs> I remember. That, have you heard the story about him when he was when he, when he, the, the Josephine? Do you remember the old nightclub Josephines? And Carlton yes. used to go in, there, go in there a lot. Yeah. And Carlton walked in one night and he said, uh, uh, I'll have a magnum of champagne, please. 
and the lady behind the bar says, Carl, we haven't got any magnums, we've, we've only got bottles. It, has a, it says, I'll have a bottle of magnum then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that kind of summed, summed Carlton up, really. <laughs> uh, brilliant, brilliant. Now, great guy, good guy. Mark, I was going to ask you about your time at Wednesday because looking at the team whilst you were there, I think compared to recent years, there's probably more academy graduates coming through the Wednesday system and coming into the first team. And I've taken notes of Tommy Spur, Mark Beavers, Sean McAllister, Richard Rudd, Richie O'Donnell. Was there any of those players that when you were there and obviously you, as a senior player seeing these young lads coming through that you thought were going to go on and actually have the careers maybe more than what they've had? Particularly thinking about Richie O'Donnell, obviously, I presume you worked with him a bit. I worked with Rich because, and then I brought Rich to Chesterfield, uh, mm -hmm. but he couldn't get in the team because we had a, a guy called Tommy Lee, who was an excellent mm -hmm. keeper for the, for the level that we, we were at. So, but I managed to. But Rich then went out on loan mm -hmm. to Walsall and got Player of the Year, and it looked like he was that that was going to be him then to kick on. Um, he lives quite local to me, Rich, so I, I do see him every now and again because he's got kids similar age to me. Um, mm -hmm. And we see him, I see him at players and we chat and all that. I know he's at Bradford now, but I always thought he had the stature and the ability, to, to especially with his great left foot with his mm -hmm. distribution. And I always thought he should he should be probably playing a bit higher than what he is. Yeah, that, that, on, honestly, uh, what why that is is I, I don't know. Sometimes you need a lot of luck. Mm -hmm. um, Tommy Spur was playing left back regularly when I was there. And I thought that, that, you know, this kid's going to have a, a, a good, long career. He's had a good career, but again, Could and like sometimes, sometimes you do need that little bit of luck along the way. Everybody needs a little bit of luck, you know, and you just need one manager at a top level to see something in you and, and think, you know, I want to take a punt on him. And mm. that's probably the reason why that, that they are But yeah, uh, who else, who else really stood out? I tell you what, when I went back to work there, when I went back to work there, going away from that team, when I went back to work there in the academy, I was lucky enough to have um, Joel Wildsmith and Cameron Dawson. Mm. So I was lucky enough to work with them. Um, and it was one of them where, and Andy Rhodes, they were both similar age, Dave yeah. Jones, manager, and Andy Rhodes kind of said, we can only keep one. Mm -hmm. Now they both played for England at youth level and all that, so like, kind of, what, what do you think? Which one would you keep? And I said, you got to keep both. Mm -hmm. You have to keep both because either of them could go all the way. Mm -hmm. what, age I, were they, what age were they about that time when you were working? Uh, well, well, I was doing, I was doing the eighteens. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, there would have been I was doing the eighteens and twenty ones, and then and then the ones and there would have been about eighteen. Yeah. yeah. So, and I said, Joe Wellsmith will play for England. Mm -hmm. They were my comments. So, um, so what, what do you think happened there, Mark? So, uh, uh, as you first met these, these lads at 19, it was Joe Wildsmith that was going to be the one to take a step in front of Cammy. And yeah. then, in more recent years, it, it seems to have been the other way around. Why, mm. you know, what, what do you think happened there? Because I, I, what I feel is that we have a lot of bullshit in this country around you have to be a certain it's height and a certain yeah. age. Yeah. I just wonder if, like, because we have this preconception of how tall a goalkeeper has to be, do you reckon yeah. that that 
that kind of affected Richard O'Donnell and Joe Wildsmith? I think well, when you stand at the side of them, they are they are pretty big guys, but they're not the they're not the six foot four, six foot five that like it's it's weird really because like when if I've ever been out scouting goalkeepers, you get you get to be on the grapevine. Agents constantly on the phone. Have a look at this keeper. Have a look at this keeper. So then you tell them, the man, your manager, I've been told I've got to go and look at this keeper. We might not need him now, but we might need him in six months, whatever. First question, how big is he? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not bothered about that. Yeah. I want to know, when I sit in the stand, I want to know if he can organise a back four. I want to know if he can stop the ball from going in the goal. That usually helps. Uh, I want to know if he can come... Ben? And, mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to know if he can come and take a there cross. If take a cross mm-hmm. I want to see that he's got good starting positions I want to see that he's confident with his distribution and he doesn't mm-hmm. just put it straight down the middle I look for all these things I don't not know whether it's a big lump or not if, it, if he is it helps but... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know Neville Southall made a career on it didn't he he did but Nev was, Nev was 6-1 but, and Shea Given was 6-1 but they were, an, they were an exception. They were great goalkeepers. Now, to be a bit smaller, you have to be a great goalkeeper. It, it, does that kind of make sense? So, otherwise... Yeah, if, I'm making a note of that now, actually. Yeah. Uh, to be a good goalkeeper, you've got to be a good goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was told, I, had a, I had each... When I was at Forest, and I, obviously I was, I'm talking about Cluffy again here. I was lucky to start my career with, with arguably one of the best managers that's ever been. Not psychologically. And as individuals, we had jobs to do. So, goalkeeper. And if you, if you didn't listen and you didn't take it in, you didn't stay at the football club. You weren't told twice and three times. You were told once. And if you... <laughs> So my job as a goalkeeper, he would ask me the question, what's your job, young man? And I would go, well, when I get the ball, I want to look from the foot, I want to look for my full-backs, make sure they're on, I want to come and get the cross, decide when I'm going to punch it and when I'm going to kick. Let me stop you there, son, he used to say. I said, okay. He went, your job's to stop the ball from going in my bloody goal. <laughs> Simple. I'm thinking it, Mark. Your right backs, what's your job? Defend first, stop crosses when you get the ball, play forward when you can. That, that's all I want you to do. Send her halves, mm-hmm. edit and kick it as far away from my goal as possible. That's your job. Midfield players, take less than three touches, play forward when you can. Wingers, beat your full backs, cross the ball. Don't worry about who's in the box. Just put it in the box. Because if my strikers are not in the box, I'll blame them. Mm-hmm. Strikers, what's your job? Take care of the ball. Pretend it's yours. Imagine it's yours. No one's going to take it off you. Take care of it. When you've taken care of the ball and you've got it under control, pass it to someone that can play. <laughs> and get in the box and score me a goal. Preferably... <laughs> A diving header and get cut while you're doing it because it looks better. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll well, tell you what, I've, I've got to ask about this, Mark. Simplify 
your position that you play. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know, it works done for you, isn't it? You know what I mean? But I've got, I've got to ask you about this. So we're talking about, we're talking about what sort of things we're going to ask you, obviously, because you played for Forest for, for more of a significant part of your career. And we had mm-hmm. uh, Nigel Jemson on the show uh, about three or four years ago. And uh, obviously there was this rumour flying around that uh, Brian Clough had gone up to Nigel Jemson and said, um, now then, young man, have you ever been punched in the face? And Jemmo said, no, and he's cracked him. And then the next day, he signed for Sheffield Wednesday. Now, you were at the club there. Now, Jemmo tells yeah. a different story about it. He says he was winding him up. Now, I-, I want you to shed some light on this story for me. I- you must have been there. I think, it was a, I think it was a game against Derby County in the reserves. Am I right? Big game. I think so, yeah. So, but it was a reserve game. And I think Gemma had played on the Saturday in the first team and he'd annoyed the manager. So the manager put him on the bench as a sub in a reserve game and he put him on for the last 10 or 15 minutes and he put him on the right wing. So that was to say, don't, you know, don't tell me, my job, what I'm doing. I'm the manager, this is what you're doing. And when he got on the right wing, he kept crossing the ball, but it kept going behind the goal. It wasn't going in the box. He was crossing it behind the goal. Obviously, he's not a right winger. He doesn't know where to put the ball properly. And after the game, uh, I, the manager did say to him, "You should be. A, is your mum and dad here, son?" He said, "My mum's here." He said, "She should be ashamed of you." <laughs> he said, "Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been punched?" And he said, "No, I haven't." And they did punch him straight in the stomach. It wasn't <laughs> straight in the stomach. And it happened to Roy Keane. Roy Keane gave me, gave me a short, short back pass once in, in, a, in a 3-3 cup game against Crystal Palace. And I shanked the ball and it went to John Solarco. And John Solarco chipped me from the halfway line and it went into the goal to make it 3-3 in the last minute. So I'm thinking I'm going to get a bollocking when I get off the pitch. And as I walk up the tunnel, the gaffer lays Keeney out for giving me a back pass. <laughs> Because he's a midfield player and his job is to play forward, not mm-hmm. backward. <laughs> so he said, it's your fault and punch Keeney. <laughs> so yeah, Gemma was get punched. But he was a good man manager though, right? Yeah. And if you run into a HR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, Ben, I'm going to let you ask a proper question while I run off for a Stella, pal. So, what, all right then, well Dan runs off. He did mention that we had Craig Armstrong on a few weeks back. Yeah. And when we had Craig on, he either conveniently forgot about this one <laughs> and we also forgot to mention it. Because he played a supporting role in quite a, a big uh, escapade in Miami, I think. What, what happened with that one, with the boat? <laughs> <laughs> well, we got promoted to the Premier League. The chairman came in and said, you can go anywhere, anywhere in the world. So we went, Dave Besson organised a trip to Miami. We went to Miami for 10 days. And I told all the lads that I could drive a boat, basically. <laughs> but it was just a little tugboat. So I went back to the lads and I said, listen, come on, it's getting a little bit boring just sitting on the beach every day. Now in Miami, you've got Miami Beach and then in, behind the, where all the hotels are, there's like little rivers and things that with little tugboats on. So I said, come on, I've hired us a boat. So anybody wants to come, come on, it's about 10 of us. <clears throat> so I'm driving the boat. And where these little rivers are, there's like little uh, cut-throughs to the sea. But they're, they're blocked off. But every now and again, 
they lift up like that. So we pulled it off at a little little beer beer a cafe where you could buy beers and all that. So we filled the boat with beers. It's red hot. So we're going along. It's, we're doing about ten knots. It's anyway. I spot this thing open, and I thought, sod it, I'm going on the sea. And on the boat, it says strictly no admittance to the sea. So I take my chance. We go on the sea, and it gets a little bit choppy. And Craig Armstrong, Armstrong decides to say. I can't swim, so be careful. <laughs> so Jeff Thomas, an ex-teammate, he sat on the front of the boat. And as we're going, I'm trying to time it. So the boat comes down and hits the waves. Okay, And I get the perfect one. And I go, bosh. And the boat's made of fiberglass. <laughs> the boat comes back up and Jeff Thomas has disappeared. <laughs> Jeff Thomas has gone under the boat. Now I'm beginning to think maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Because Craig Armstrong panicking and saying, I can't swim. No, I can't swim. I can't swim. The next minute, because there's that much water coming in the boat, it starts to sink. And all the beer cans and all the flip <laughs> all are floating in the sea. And Craig Armstrong is drowning. <laughs> So Dave Besson gets Dick Craig Armstrong and he has to life-save him into the, into the shore. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're only about four or 500 yards offshore, but the boat's gone. <laughs> only, <The> boat's only. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what am I going to do? So we get to the shore, so I thought, I'm, I'm not hanging around here. So I thought, I'm going to run back to the hotel. I'm off, I'm getting out. <laughs> Next minute, the boat starts, because it's fiberglass, the boat's going glug, 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 glug. <laughs> The boat comes back to the surface, and two Mariahs are coming down the beach, full pelt. So, anyway, I ended up paying about $1,300, because the boat got flooded, and it, and it got survived. But the, the moral of the story is, I actually tried to drown Craig Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> Just to show you. He didn't mention that last week, did he? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've never heard that story. I've known him half my life. <laughs> really? Yeah, he's never told me that. He's never told it us. I've just texted him saying we're just hearing about the boat story. Right. No, it, it were after we'd uh, it were after we spoke to him, and when we that we were getting you on that, I listened back to you to the under the cosh ones, and yeah, you obviously mentioned him on that, and it brought it back up to me. So I thought we didn't bring yeah. it up with him, so we've got to bring it up with you. <laughs> It's just uh, sometimes you do daft things, and unfortunately, I, I, I used to be on end end of a lot of them. <laughs> I was used to be the instigator, but you know, no one got hurt, so we're all right. Um, I was going to say to you, Mark, uh, one thing that has drawn me attention to you at the moment is the walking that you're doing. Um, yeah. Walking's brilliant, I think, is the hashtag. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to have a chat to you about that because one of the reasons why we're doing this in regards to these live broadcasts is we've all, we all chat regularly on a, on a WhatsApp group and we've, we've all, we're all of different ages and we've got some of us have got family, some of us live by ourselves, etc. We've been talking about this fact that we've not been able to say our other families and we've not been able to, like, like Vic's lucky now, she's at her mum and dad's, but she's not been able to see her mum and dad in ages. Mm. My, my partner's I'm in my bubble. I'm just doing mm. it early. You know, and, and, and there's people out there, and then obviously we've got kids struggling with it. I'm sure you're young and struggle with it in regards to not being seen. Yeah. Stuff like that. And, and obviously, 
we've talked about mental health and we've talked about mental health quite a few times in the past as well on the podcast and how it affects players and obviously you played in some big stadiums in front of thousands of people and mm. you know we've seen players who have come out at Hillsborough and we've, we've talked about whether there's mental health issues because of the way they're performing or not performing and, 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 and it's obviously a big thing and, and reading through some of your tweets and some of the lads who are involved with you in regards to how your life turns when you stop playing professional football yeah and then so can you tell us a little bit about the walking and what you're doing and and and, and just basically the ethos behind it yeah i think um now what what happened was that like me personally i lost my job on the 2nd of january i was working with shares at chesterfield and uh we, we got relieved of our duties and in 33 years of being in the game it was my first ever time that i'd been out of work for 33 years and when you're involved in football I can only speak from my own experiences that the world revolves around football especially when you work in it so your family suffer everybody suffers weekends your kids everything when you're in it you don't realize it um, because you think it's a given right that it should revolve around you anyway now I realized that life isn't just all about football when, when quite quickly when I came out of it uh, but I struggled with being out of routine. And not not long after that, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. Um, uh, me and my dad are very close, so it tended to be uh, a lot a lot on top. And I suffered. I suffered. I suffered with the daily um, being out of routine and finding things to do. And then a mate of mine just said, listen, I, I, I go walking. I would never even dream of going for a walk. The car's there. That's why, that's why mm-hmm. I've got it. I go to the shop in the car. Now I don't get in the car. And it was just something that I discovered. And I've always spoke to Dean Windass quite closely closely, and Gemmo. And I started putting a few videos, tweeting, because I realised it was doing me a lot of good. And it was making me feel better. So then it made me realise that I'm probably struggling a bit mentally, not on the same capacity as other people. Mental health is... I've read a lot into it recently and people suffer for different reasons. Um, and then Chris Kirkland got in touch with me and obviously goalkeepers, you know, Chris was at Sheffield Wednesday when I was there and he's been quite open about it. And the most thing that brought it back to me, I was a really close friend of Gary Speeds, uh, really, really close with Gary. And I could never understand why he did what he did. He had two boys and, and, I just thought, you know what, I want to give something back. You know, football's given me a lot. Um, I, want, I was ready for a break anyway, because I wanted to spend more. I've got two young boys. I've got four, four kids, but I've got two really young boys to, 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 to M and I sat here. Um, and I wanted to have more time with them. When you're involved in football, especially as a coach, you don't go in at 10 o'clock and come home at 1 o'clock. I, I was at Knox County. I used to leave at half past six to make sure I got there for eight o'clock. I was getting home at seven every night. I'm an after-dinner speaker. So on Thursdays and Fridays, I was coming in there. I was having a quick bite to eat and I was off. I could be anywhere in, in the country. And I thought, it's, uh, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. So, and I wanted to give something back. I discovered walking. I love music. I've been a massive music fan, all kinds of music. And when I started doing the tweets, people that were getting in touch with me were people with mental health issues saying, you're inspiring me. It's so good that you're talking about it. 
And I thought, that makes me feel really, really good. That people, it's actually helping people, what I'm doing, posting the videos. So I've carried on doing it. And now we've got the group together. We're climbing Kilimanjaro now. We've, we've got, a, we've got a, it's not a charity, it's an organization called Watch. And it's Walking and Talking Charity Hikes. Um, and we've got together, Dean Windass, myself, Nigel Jemson, uh, Chris Kirkland, Leon McKenzie, uh, Steve Howey. And these are guys that have actually opened up about mental health issues. The good thing about it is they're talking about it. Mm -hmm. They're actually, people are beginning to talk about it. If I showed you my Twitter feed now, I can't reply to all the messages because there's that many. I try to I go to bed at night, have an hour, and I try to reply to every single message. So then we started doing the art. Then people kept saying, you say brilliant a lot. So that's how we come up with the hashtag walking's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Uh, we come up with watch because walking and talking charity hikes because we're doing Kilimanjaro next next July. We've got loads of events coming up, and the reason we're not a charity, we're an organisation, is because we want to we want to distribute all the money. We want to get NHS UK involved now because of what's happened and the jobs the nurses are doing. But we believe we can raise a lot of money, but we want to help small mental health charities rather than just go. Here you are to one mental health charity, not see where the money's gone. We, we want to, we want to try and help everybody. So we, we, we've been offered a documentary of it already, Kilimanjaro. Uh, I'll not, mean, not not name the company that's offered offers it. So it's going to be a, a documentary as well on TV, and it's kind of escalated quicker than any of us would have actually thought. And it's probably to do with this lock, lockdown that, that it actually has. So that, that's the story behind it anyway. Brilliant. And you just go local then, Mark, just because obviously you live in Barnsley, don't you? So there's, you're out into the countryside, aren't you? So it's fabulous where you live. I passed you on my bike not long ago. Have you? No. Well, I've been, today, like uh, the group that's actually going to Kilimanjaro, we did two separate group walks today in groups of six, social distancing, and we met, we met somewhere and we walked to Connorsborough Castle. We did 10 miles today. But not only that, it's getting the guys fitter as well. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a stone and a half lighter now than what I was when I actually come out of coaching on, on January the 7th. I must I, admit, Mark, I actually wrote that as a note. I wrote, it looks like you're in better shape now than what you were when you were a professional football player. Mm -hmm. 100%. The, the scales don't say that, but like my... <laughs> you know, the stress levels are lower. Because football, we all know football, it's a results-based business. I'd had four crap years as a coach, which began to make me think that I wasn't as good a coach as what I probably am, or whatever it may be. And results proved that we weren't getting them. And when results are bad, you're grumpy at home, people around you suffer. And for that, for me, that's why I came out and said, I've re actually realised at 50 years old that football isn't everything. Mm -hmm. Although I still love the game, I would do anything. I, I, I'm on here tonight because I love yeah. football supporters. I, I still love football and I love talking about it. But the desire's gone a little bit to get in the car and drive down the motorway and worry about getting there on time. And 
That's what I was going to say to you, Mark. I was going to say, your future, we go, we go forward 12 months, 18 months from now. We don't know what the world's going to look like. Is your future still in football, but carrying on doing what you're doing now? Can you do both? Or what, what's, what's going to be the most important thing for you going forward? The after-dinner circuit for me has gone really, really well. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I've started getting into a little bit of corporate as well. Mm-hmm. The, the thing I've found about that is, is, is that you don't get told what time you've got to be there. You don't mm-hmm. get told what time the bus leaves Saturday. You don't get told what you can eat, what you've got to eat. You don't get told uh, it's not Wednesday off this week because you've got a bad result Tuesday mm-hmm. and you've planned something for the Wednesday, but the bad results spoils all the, what you've organised to do with your family or whatever because we've had a bad result, you didn't perform well, so we're going to get you in on Wednesday and we're going to... I've never got my head around that, but that's what happens. And it's usually because of emotions running high at, at that time. Uh, and fans get more emotional than, than, than anybody, you know. know and it's, well, when the results don't go well, it spoils your week. Mm-hmm. You only have to have a Sheffield United fan that you work with who are doing well and they can't wait to get stuck in. And anybody that tells me that it eventually it doesn't destroy him mentally, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it does, it gets to you, doesn't it? Now, away now, from now, that. Before, Vic, have you got your quickfire questions? I meant They're to in ask. my head because I've not got my pen I mean, and paper. I've done that many. Before we go to fans' question, quickfire, I've got to ask one more question. Did it get to um, the point when you came out of this the other side when you you know when you like you say you got to 50 and you started walking and you realized it cleared your head and the rest of it were you not aware in your own mind that you were actually probably stressed to fuck <laughs> i knew i was stressed because everybody around me told me and it showed in me i knew i was stressed i knew i was really really stressed but it was the norm it was just the norm 33 years of the norm the normality for me you, your brain gets trained to, 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 to like my missus gets on at me you're always forward planning you're always mm-hmm. thinking ahead mm-hmm. but you just take each day as it comes I, I can't do it I just I don't know why I just cannot what's going to I need to know what's happening next week I've got to have an holiday in for next summer just so I know it's there it's weird. It really is weird. And it, it's something that I think that comes part and parcel of your dedication to your job that you've actually been in for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, well, to be fair, that, that's pretty much out the life of a footballer, isn't it? That, you know, you're constantly looking for the, the next contract, the next hustle, and there's so much pressure on you from an early age. The I next result. The, the, next, next, the next result. If the result's on a Saturday, you've got to switch to Tuesday's game instantly. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a Saturday to Saturday, if the result's good, the week usually takes care of itself. If the result's yeah. bad, you, 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 the next forward planning is next Saturday. My job's on the line. So, like I, got, I said, I've got, I've got after dinner speak there. Now, what I've found with after dinner speaking is, if I don't want to do it, I don't have to go. Mm-hmm. So, I'm all, all of a sudden, from being dictated to... I'm in control. I feel as though I'm in control of actually what I want to do uh, and please people, your loved ones around you, rather than them revolve their lives around what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that makes sense, but that's, how, that's exactly how I feel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, 
Now, uh, Norm, what, what Craig we're doing... Craig uh, just joined the live stream on Facebook because I told him you were telling the story. Craig Armstrong, <laughs> if you're watching, Norm said you can't swim in and he drowned you. Dave Besson has to rescue you. <laughs> <laughs> the battery's, the, the battery's going to go. I'm just going to plug in here. No worries, no worries. Story, whatever happened to Jeff Thomas in that story? Because Jeff, Jeff Thomas got hurt and then disappeared. Yeah, where did, uh, is, Jeff, is Jeff Thomas still swimming there or what? Did you leave him there? I know he's been not been very well, but bloody hell, like, what, is he all right now? Like, <laughs> like Jeff, right? Jeff sound. Jeff sound. Jeff had leukemia and he's the fittest. He's doing hundreds and hundreds of miles bike riding at the moment. Oh, he's yeah. trying to cycle, Bless isn't he? Yeah. Bless him. Now, now, Norm, what we normally do now, we're going to a uh, quickfire question. Vic's going to ask you a series of questions and you're going to have to answer the... Uh, Craig, oh, by the way, Craig Armstrong's been on. He's gone with, I can swim, but not with the boat on my head. So, uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> At least now I know how to finish him off when he's doing your heading. <laughs> so, uh, Vic's going to ask you a series of uh, quick-fire questions. Uh, what, first person that comes into your head when she asks you, are you ready, Vic? Uh, they might not be as quick as they normally are, because I've not got my notes. But... I was um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, who do you think is um, our best current player? Sorry, I'm sorry. Who do you I think is our best current player? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Are these quick fire questions? Are these quick fire questions? Yeah. Um, current player. I'm going to go with a goalie, Anna. Uh, Joe Wellsmith. All right. Who was the best player you've ever played with? Ryan Giggs. Got that one. <laughs> <laughs> What's your most memorable moment at Sheffield Wednesday? I think we all know what you're going to say. Yeah, scoring in front of the cop, yeah, the last minute. <laughs> and who are you still in touch with from your time at Wednesday? Uh, Lee Bullen, I'm still in touch with Lee Bullen, yeah. Or uh, more. Well, just um, you can name a few if you like. It's up to you. Um, I'm more in touch with like with, with like the staff that used to work there. To be honest, I'm still in touch with Andy Rhodes a little bit. Dean Ramsdale was the academy manager. He work, he now works for Man City, so he he wants me to get involved in doing a bit of scouting for their youth team as well. So I've kept in contact, close contact with Dean. Cool. Who was the class clown when you were there? Uh me. And who had the worst dress sense? Greg Armstrong. Oh, Frankie Sitter. <laughs> Frankie Sitter. <laughs> yeah, that's it, I think. I can't remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've got some fans' questions. I may or may not have made these up, Norm, but before, before Simon texts out, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll run these by you. Uh, who's more mental, goalkeepers or centre-halves? Like, you know, like, goalkeepers. Without I, think, a doubt. I think that's pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. much par for the course, isn't it? Um, who's better, you or Kevin Pressman? Me. Yeah, I thought, thought you might say that. Um, who had a biggest influence on 90s haircuts, you or David Beckham? Oh, David Beckham. Nah, bollocks, mate. I, had, I, had, I, had the... I thought you were going to say David Besson then, to be honest. <laughs> That's, um, that the, Norm was the first one I saw with the undercut. You know what yeah. I mean? Where, yeah. Which was essentially a centre-parted mohawk. And I remember going, got to get me one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and, 
and last one from me, Norm. Uh, who would win in a fight, Stuart Pearce or Graham Coglin? Stuart Pearce. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Graham, Graham Coglin's pretty mental, though, isn't he? No? Oh, draw, draw, uh, re- draw, rematch. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, take us out, brother. I'm done. I, I'm out of questions to, to bore this man to death. Mark, I'd like to say from all of us, fantastic. It's some great stories. Tear in my eye with the boat story. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Just brilliant. No, it's been a, been a pleasure, guys. Yeah, I hope yeah, it all goes well. Fantastic. You are, uh, you are, even though you play, only played 17 games for Wednesday, you are a legend because you are the only football keeper for Wednesday who scored in open play. Mm. Kevin Pressman scored three, three penalties, but that's not in yeah. open play. You're the only keeper uh, ever in our history to have scored in open play. And long may that continue, pal. Well mm-hmm. done. Thanks yeah, for Doing some, um, I'm, I'm doing some commentary actually on the games. I'm doing first game. I'm doing uh, Radio Sheffield is 11th of July QPR. Okay. I'll be co-hosting with Andy Giddens, so I'll give you a mention. Oh, please do. Please do. Well, we are the best uh, Wednesday podcast group. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> Thanks, Take Mark. care, guys. Anyway. Thanks very much, Mark. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. The Wednesday Week, the Sheffield Wednesday Fan Podcast.
Keep up to date with the Wednesday Week on Twitter at TWWcast or on our website, thewednesdayweek.co.uk. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. You've got all your mates round. You've got your McNugget chair boxes coming down the left wing, ready to go. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points, back of the net. Lubosh. Automate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more information. See you later. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.